Welcome to Lukey C's Audio Stories with me, Luke Charles. Thank you for tuning in. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or maybe good night. So, on my first episode of my podcast, I'm going to be reading The Book of Dust by Philip Pullman, La Belle Sauvage. Let us begin on this journey together. World is crazier and more of it than we think. Incorrigibly plural. Louise McNeese. Snow. Part 1. The Trout. Chapter 1. The Terrace Room. Three miles up the river Thames from the centre of Oxford, some distance from where the great colleges of Jordan, Gabriel, Belial, and two dozen others contended for mastery in the boat races, out where the city was only a collection of towers and spires in the distance over the misty levels of Port Meadow. There stood the Priory of Godstow, where the gentle nuns went about their holy business, and on the opposite bank from the Priory there was an inn called the Trout. The inn was an old, stone-built, rambling, comfortable sort of place, there was a terrace above the river, where peacocks, one called Norman and the other called Barry, stalked among the drinkers, held themselves to snacks without the slightest hesitation, and occasionally lifting their heads to utter ferocious and meaningless screams. There was a saloon bar, where the gentry, if college scholars count as gentry, took their ale and smoked their pipes. There was a public bar where watermen and farm labourers sat by the fire, or played darts, or stood at the bar gossiping or arguing, or simply getting quietly drunk. There was a kitchen where the landlord's wife cut a great joint every day, with a complicated arrangement of wheels and chains turning a spit over an open fire. And there was a potboy called Malcolm Polstead. Malcolm was the landlord's son, an only child. He was eleven years old, with an inquisitive, kindly disposition, a stocky build and ginger hair. He went to Ulvercote Elementary School a mile away, and he had friends enough, but he was happiest on his own playing with his demon, Aster in their canoe, which was called La Belle Sauvage. A witty acquaintance was amusing to squawn S over the V, and Malcolm patiently painted out three times while losing his temper, knocking the fool into the water, at which point they declared a truce. Like every charming innkeeper, Malcolm had to work around the tavern, washing dishes and glasses, carrying plates of food or tangers of beer, retrieving them when they were empty. He took the work for granted, the only one in his life was a girl called Alice, who helped it washing the dishes. She was fifteen years old, tall and skinny, with lank dark hair she scraped back into an, an unflattering pony ponytail. Lines of self-discontent were already gathering on her forehead and around her mouth. She teased Malcolm the day she arrived. Who's your girlfriend, Malcolm? Ain't you got a girlfriend? Who's your heart with last night? Did you kiss her? Ain't you been kissed? He ignored that for a long time. But finally, Aster leaped at Alice's scrawny jackdaw demon, knocking him into the washing up water, then biting and biting the solemn creature till Alice screamed for pity. She complained bitterly to Malcolm's mother, who said, Serves you right, got no sympathy for you. Keep your nasty mind to yourself. From then on, she did. She and Malcolm took up the slight, no slight notice of each other, put the glasses on the draining board, she washed them, he dried them, took them back to the bar without a word, without a glance, without a thought. But he enjoyed the life of the inn. He especially enjoyed the conversations he overheard, whether they concerned the banal rascality of the riverboard, the helpless idiocy of the government, or more philosophical matters such as 
whether or not the stars were the same age as the Earth. Sometimes Malcolm became so interested in the latter sort of conversation, he'd rest his armful of empty glasses on the table and join in, but only after having listened intently. He was known to many of the scholars and other visitors, and generously tipped, but becoming rich was never the aim of his. He took tips to be the generosity of providence, and came to think of himself as lucky, which did him no harm in later life. If he'd been the sort of boy who acquired a nickname, he no doubt had been known as Professor. But he wasn't that sort of boy. He was liked when noticed, but not noticed much, and that did him no harm either. Malcolm's other constituency lay just over the bridge outside the tavern, in the grey stone building set among green fields and neat orchards, and kitchen gardens of the prior St. Rosamond. The nuns were largely self-sufficient, growing their vegetables and fruit, keeping their bees sewing the elegant vestments they sold for keenly bargain gold. But from time to time their errands, a useful boy could run, although there was a ladder to be repaired under the supervision of Mr. Taphouse, the aged carpenter, or some fish to bring from Medley Ponds a little way down the river. The Belle Sauvage was frequently employed in the service of the Goodlands. More than once Malcolm had ferried Sister Benedicta down the river to the Royal Mail Zeppelin Station, with a precious parcel of stoles or copes or chasubles for the Bishop of London. She seemed to wear his vestments very hard, but he got through them unusually quickly. Malcolm learned a lot on these leisurely voyages. How would you make them parcels so neat, Sister Benedicta? He asked one day. Those parcels, said Sister Benedicta. Those parcels, how would you make them so neat? Neatly, Malcolm. He didn't mind. This sort of game they had. I thought neat was all right, he said. It depends whether you want the idea of neatness to modify the act of trying the parcel, or to refer to the parcel itself once tied. I don't mind, really, said Malcolm. I just want to know how you do them. Uh, them. Next time I have a parcel to tie, I promise I'll show you, said Sister Benedicta. And she did. Malcolm admired the nuns for their neat ways in general, for the manner in which they laid their fruit trees and espaliers on the sunny wall of the orchard, for the charm with which their delicate voices combined singing the offices of the church, for their little kindnesses here and there to many people. He enjoyed the conversations he had with them about religious matters. In the Bible, he said one day, as he was helping elderly Sister Fenella in the lofty kitchen. You know, it says God created the world in six days. That's right, said Sister Fenella, rolling some pastry. Well, how is it there's fossils and things that are millions of years old? Ah, you see, days are much longer then, said the good sister. Have you caught that rhubarb yet? Look, I'll be finished before you will. Why do we use this knife for rhubarb, but not the old ones? The old ones are sharper. Because of the oxalic acid, said Sister Fenella, pressing the pastry into a baking tin. Saying it's better with rhubarb. Pass me the sugar now. Oxalic acid, said Malcolm, liking the words very much. What's a chasuble, sister? It's kind of vestment. Priests wear them over their albs. Why don't you do so like the other sisters? Sister Fenella squirreled demon, sitting on the back of a nearby chair, uttered a meek. We all do what we're good at, said the nun. I was over good at embroidery. Look at my great big fat fingers. But the other sisters think my pastry's all right. I like your pastry, said Malcolm. Thank you, dear. It's almost as good as my mum's. Mum's is thicker than what yours is. I expect you roll it harder. I expect I do. Nothing was wasted in the private kitchen. The little pieces of pastry Sister Mary left after trimming her rhubarb pies were formed into clumsy crosses or palm branches or fish shapes and rolled around a few currants and sprinkled with a little sugar and baked separately. They each had a religious meaning, but Sister Fenella, my great fat fingers, wasn't very good at making them look different from one another. 
Malcolm was better. We had to wash his hands fully first. Who eats these, sister? He said. Oh, they're all eating, all eaten in the end. Someone's visitor likes something to nibble with their tea. The Priory, situated as it was with a road across the river, was popular with travellers of all kinds, and the nuns often had visitors to stay. So did the trout, of course, and the usually two or three guests stay at the inn overnight, whose breakfast Malcolm had to serve. But they were generally fishermen or commercials, as his father called them, travellers in smoke leaf or hardware or agricultural machinery. The guests at the Priory were people from a higher class altogether, great lords and ladies, sometimes bishops and lesser clergy, People of quality do not have a connection with any of the colleges in the city, and couldn't expect hospitality there. Once there was a princess who stayed for six weeks, but Malcolm only saw her twice. She'd been sent there as a punishment. Her demon was a weasel who snarled at everyone. Malcolm held out with these guests too, looked after their horses, cleaned their boots, took messages for them, and was occasionally tipped. All his money went to a tin walrus in his bedroom. You press its tail and it opened its mouth, and you put the coin in between the tusks one of which had been broken off and glued back on. Malcolm didn't know how much money he had, but the walls was heavy. He thought he might buy a gun once he had enough, but he didn't think his father would allow him to, so that was something to wait for. In the meantime, he got used to the ways of travellers both common and rare. There was probably nowhere, he thought, where anyone could learn so much about the world as this little bend of the river, with the inn on one side and the prior on the other. He supposed that when he was grown up, he'd help his father in the bar, take over the place when his parents grew too old to continue. He was fairly happy about that. It would be much better than running the trout than many other inns. Because the great world came through, and scholars and people of consequence were often there to talk to. But what he'd really have liked to do was something like that. He liked to be a scholar himself, maybe an astronomer or an experimental philologian, making great discoveries about the deepest nature of things. To be a philosopher's apprentice now, that would be a fine thing. But there was little likelihood of that. All the elementary school prepared pupils for craftsmanship, or clerking at best or pass them out to the world at fourteen. And as far as Malcolm knew, there were no openings in scholarship for a bright boy with a canoe. One day, in the middle of winter, some visitors came to the trout, who were out of the usual sort of kind. Three men arrived by Ambaric car and went at once into the terrace room, which was the smallest of all the dining rooms in the inn, and overlooked the terrace and the river and the prior beyond. It lay at the end of the corridor, wasn't much used either in winter or summer, having small windows nor dark to the terrace, despite its name. Malcolm had finished his meagre homework, geometry, and wolfed down some roast beef and Yorkshire pudding, followed by a baked apple and custard, when his father called him to the bar. Go and see what those gents in the terrace room want, he said. Like they're foreign, don't know about buying their drinks in the bar. What are we waiting on, I expect? Pleased by this novelty, Malcolm went down to the little room and found three gentlemen. He could tell their quality at glance all standing at the window and stooping to look out. Can I help you, gentlemen? he said. They turned at once, two of them ordered claret, and the third wanted rum. When Malcolm came back with their drinks, they asked if he could get a dinner here, and if so, what the place had to offer. Roast beef, sir, it's very good. I know, because I just had some. Oh, le patron mangi ishier, said the oldest of the gentlemen, as they drew up their chairs to the little table. His demon, a handsome black and white lemur, sat calm on his shoulder. I live here, sir. Landlord's my father, said Malcolm. Our mother's a cook. What's your name? said the tallest and thinnest of the visitors, a scholarly-looking man with thick grey hair, whose demon was a greenfinch. Malcolm Polstead, sir. What's that place over the river? Malcolm, said the third man, with large dark eyes and a black moustache. 
His demon, wherever she was, lay curled up on the floor at his feet. It was dark by then, of course, and all they could see on the other side of the river was the dimly lit stained glass windows of the oratory and the light that always shone over the gatehouse. That's the priory, sir, sister of the Order of St. Rosamond. And who was St. Rosamond? I never asked them about St. Rosamond. There's a picture of him in the stained glass, though, sort of standing in great big rows, especially after that, after our sister Benedicta. Oh, you know them well, then. I, I talk to them every day, sir, more or less. Do odd jobs on the priory, run errands, that sort of thing. And do these nuns ever visitors? said the oldest man. Yes, sir, quite often. All sorts of people, sir. I don't want to interfere. But it's ever so cold here. Would you like me to light the fire? They like to come in the saloon. It's nice and warm in there. No, we'll stay here, thank you, Malcolm. But we'd certainly like a fire. Do light it. Malcolm struck a match, and the fire caught at once. His father was good at laying fires. Malcolm often watched him. There were enough logs to last the evening. These men wanted to stay. Lots of people in tonight, said the dark-eyed man. I suppose it'd be a dozen or so, sir. About normal. Good, said the oldest man. Well, bring us some of that roast beef. Some soup to start, sir. Spice past it today. Yes, why not? Soup all round followed by our famous roast beef. Another bottle of this claret. Malcolm didn't think the beef was really famous. That was just a way of talking. He left to get some cutlery and to place the order with his mother in the kitchen. In his ear, Ace in the form of a goldfinch whispered, The only knew about the nuns. Then why were they asking? Malcolm whispered back. They're testing us, see if we'd told the truth. I wonder what they want. They don't look like scholars. They do a bit. They look like politicians, she insisted. How do you know what politicians look like? Just got a feeling. Malcolm didn't argue with her. There were all customers to attend to, so he was busy. And besides, he believed in Ace's feelings. He himself seldom had that sort of feeling about people, if they were nice to him. He liked them. But his demon's intuitions had proved reliable many times. Of course, he and Ace to a one being, so the intuitions were his anyway, as much as his feelings were hers. Malcolm's father himself carried the food into the freed guests and opened their wine. Malcolm hadn't learned to manage three hot plates at once. When Mr. Polstead came back to the main bar, he beckoned Malcolm with a finger and spoke quietly. All those gentlemen say to you, he said. They were asking about the priory. Well, I talk to you again. They said you were a bright boy. Mind your manners now. You know who they are. Malcolm, wide-eyed, shook his head. That's Lord Nugan, that is. The old boy. He used to be Lord Chancellor of England. How do you know that? Recognise him with his picture in the paper. Go on now. Answer all the questions. Malcolm set off down the corridor with Ace to whispering. See, who was right then? Lord Chancellor of England, no less. The men were talking to their roast beef. Malcolm's mother had given them an extra slice each, and talking quietly. But they fell silent as soon as Malcolm came in. I came to see where you'd like another light, gentlemen, he said. I could bring a nap for lamp for the table if you like. In a minute, Malcolm. I'd be a very good idea, said the man who was the Lord Chancellor. But tell me, how old are you? Eleven, sir. Perhaps he should have said, my lord. But the ex-Lord Chancellor of England had seemed quite content with sir. Perhaps he was travelling incognito, in which case he would like to be given his right form of address anyway. And where did you go to school? Overcut Elementary, sir, just across Port Meadow. What are you going to do when you grow up, do you think? Most probably I've been innkeeper like my father, sir. Jolly interesting occupation, I should think. I think it is, too, sir. All sorts of people passing through, and so on. Uh, that's right, sir. The scholars from the university come here, and Waterman from all over. 
You see a lot of what's going on there? Yes, we do, sir. Traffic coming down the river and so on. It's mostly on the canal that there's interesting stuff, sir. The Egyptian boats going up and down. And the horse fair in July. The canal's full of boats and travellers then. The horse fair? Egyptians, eh? They come from over to buy and sell horses. The scholarly man said. Nuns in the priory. How they're doing a living. They make perfumes, anything like that? They grow a lot of vegetables, Mum said. Mum always buys her vegetables and fruit from the priory. And honey. Oh, and they sew and embroider things for clergymen to wear. Chasubles and that. I reckon they must get paid a lot for them. They must have a bit of money, because they buy fish from Medley Pond down the river. When the priory has visitors, said the ex-Lord Chancellor, what sort of people would they be? Malcolm. Well, nay, sometimes. Young ladies. Sometimes an old priest or bishop, maybe. I think they come in for a rest. For a rest? That's what Sister Benedict told me. She said in the old days, there was inns like this, and hotels, and specifically hospitals. People used to stay at monasteries and priories and such like. But nowadays there's mostly clergymen or maybe nuns from other places, and they were convalescing, said Lord Nugent. Yes, sir, that's it. Getting better. The last man to finish his roast beef, the dark-eyed man, put his knife and fork down. Anyone there at the moment? he asked. I don't think so, sir. Unless they're indoors a lot. Usually visitors like to walk about in the garden, but the weather'd be very nice, so... Would you like your pudding now, gentlemen? What is it? Baked apple and custard. Apples from the Priory Orchard. Well, can't pass up a chance to try those, said the scholarly man. Yes. Bring us some baked apples and custard. Malcolm began to gather their plates and cutlery. Have you lived here all your life, Malcolm? said Lord Nugent. Yes, sir. I was born here. In all your long experience of the Priory, do you ever know them look after an infant? A very young child, sir. Yes, a child too young to go to school, even a baby. Ever known that? Malcolm thought carefully and said, No, sir. Never ladies and gentlemen or clergymen anyway, but never a baby. I see. Thank you, Malcolm. By gathering the wine glass together, their stems between his fingers, he managed to take all three of them, as well as their plates. A baby, whispered Ace on the way to the kitchen. That's a mystery, said Malcolm with satisfaction. Maybe an orphan. Or worse, said Ace darkly. Malcolm put the plates on the draining board, ignoring Alice as usual, and gave the order for pudding. Your father, said Malcolm's mother, dishing up the apples, thinks one of those guests used to be the Lord Chancellor. They give him a nice big apple that you may give him... Uh. You better give him a nice apple then, said Malcolm. What do they want to know, she said, ladling hot custard of the apples. Oh, all about the priory. You can imagine those, they're hard. Yeah, but they're not big. I can do them, honest. You better. If you drop the Lord Chancellor apple, you'll go to prison. He managed the balls perfectly well, even though they were getting hotter and hotter. The gentleman didn't ask any questions this time, storing coffee in. Malcolm brought them a nape for lamp before going through to the kitchen to set the cups up. Mum, you know the guests sometimes. Do you ever know them to look after a baby? What do you want to know that for? They were asking. Lord Chancellor and the others. What did you tell them? I said I didn't think so. Well, that's the right answer. Well, go on, get out. Bring in some more glasses. In the main barn, to cover the noise and laughter, Easter whispered. She was start when he asked that. I saw Ken wake up and prick his ears. Kerryon was Mrs. Pulse's demon, a gruff until on Badger. Just because it was surprising, said Malcolm, I expect you looked surprised when they asked me. I never, I was inscrutable. Well, I expect they saw me being surprised. Just the nuns. 
could do, said Malcolm, tomorrow. Need to know if someone's been asking questions about them. 